Hola, mi gente. My name is Jessica Yanez, and I want you to join me for some wine and chisme. The Wine and Chisme podcast was created to amplify voices across communities of color, all while drinking a glass of wine. From wine talk, interviews, and recaps of all things pop culture, join me every Wednesday for the chisme. Please make sure to check out the Wine and Chisme podcast and other amazing podcasts as part of the Latina Podcasters Network. Hola, mi gente. I'm so excited to share this particular episode with you again. This year, one of my dreams came true when I was able to take the Wine and Chisme podcast on the road. Our first stop, L.A., where we had an amazing panel of guests to talk about representation in media. I am so proud of this conversation because I had so many people come up and share that this conversation was deeper than any they have heard in recent history, and they appreciated the diversity of the panel. So join me as we talk about this important topic. Hola, hola, mi gente. I'm Jessica Yanez, and this is the Wine and Chisme podcast podcast created to amplify voices and share the stories of people from BIPOC communities doing remarkable things, all while sipping on a glass of wine. So welcome to your new Wednesday. The Wine and Chisme Wednesday. So I just want everybody to just tell us a little bit more about yourself and ethnicity-wise as well, because it's very important that we talk about all of our different ethnicities, because like Heidi was sharing in her song, so many people, especially in Southern California, just assume we're all Mexican. I am Mexican, but they just assume everybody else is. Okay, hello everyone. Buenas tardes. My name is Eliana Reyes. I am Puerto Rican and Dominican. Um, so I was born in New York. When I was like three, we moved to Puerto Rico. I grew up between Puerto Rico and Santo Domingo. Then I landed in the Midwest, where I quickly realized that when I'm not in the East Coast, I'm just Black American. So I have a very unique experience being Afro-Latina and what that meant based on the region that I was in. I'm an actor, plus-size model, producer, and director. I just Right now, I'm working on a documentary about my father that just got released out of 26 years of being in prison. And we went to DR, Lorena Jorge, who's also an actor and producer, she came with us, and I'm really excited to tell that story. So, yeah, and I'm a producer and host at LATV here. And I am Evelyn Osultani. My uh, mom was Cuban. She passed away when I was little, and I was raised by my stepmom, who is Colombian. My dad was Iraqi Muslim. He first married a Cuban Catholic and then a Colombian Catholic. It's a very mixed family. And I was born and raised in New York City. And I am a professor at USC and I study representations of Arabs and Muslims. My book just came out, my second book called Broken, The Failed Promise of Muslim Inclusion. And uh, I'll be hopefully sharing some of that with you today. And thank you, Jessica, for inviting me. I'm Fanny Grande. I am the CEO and co-founder of Avenida Entertainment Group. We are committed to elevating the voices of underrepresented communities. I started my career as an actor 
and I got tired of playing the negative stereotypes, right? The gangbanger, the gangbanger's wife. Like, I mean, <laughs> I was born in the U.S., but I grew up in Venezuela, so I never had all those limitations that are put on us. Like, in, in my country, we're everything, right? We're doctors, we're teachers, we're everything. So when I moved to the U.S. and was told that I could only play very few roles because people wouldn't believe it, I made up my mind that I'm going to do something to change that because we're awesome, just like everybody else. <laughs> and media really affects how other people see us, but for me, more importantly, how we see ourselves. And I don't think we should have any limits to what we can accomplish. We opened Avenida seven years ago from our kitchen table, and now we have a movie studio down the street, actually. So if you drive by down Beverly, you'll see Avenida Studios. That's us, and we're doing the work that we need to do to really disrupt Hollywood. And the way that we're doing it is by empowering the filmmakers, right? We're really focused on the creatives. But yeah, I'm an actor, a filmmaker, and an entrepreneur. A pretty awesome wife, too. <laughs> I feel like I'm gonna choke all of you if I pull on this. It's okay, this is good. All right, she wants me closer, I'll get closer. <laughs> good afternoon, everyone. I'm Nelson Grande. I'm uh, the COO and co-founder of Avenida Entertainment Group. And first of all, I just want to say it's really nice to be here all with you. What a beautiful day to be together, isn't it? And drinking wine. I almost forgot about the cheese, but then it's really good, too. The beautiful spread. Anyhow, Los Angeles born and raised. I'm what you would call a Mexidorian, Mexican Salvadorian. Really interesting because, you know, growing up in L.A., I was told, like, hey, hush the Salvadorian part. You're Mexican. It's like, no, I'm, I am who I am. You know, my, my, my journey's been a little interesting. You know, growing up, seeing a lot of really cool films filmed here. I saw Reservoir Dogs being filmed in my neighborhood of Highland Park, which everyone knows now. I saw La Bamba being filmed. I saw Mi Familia. So for me, film was always part of my personal experience, except when I watched it on TV, it just didn't match. So, you know, we'll probably talk a little more about it, but I think that's really what inspired me to really take a stand because um, I found myself lost for a long time wanting to be white because that's what I saw on TV because I thought those people would have that lifestyle. Rather than have the next generations feel that, I think that we need to embrace and elevate who we are now, celebrate it, and just really excited to share a lot about what we've been up to. So I'm really happy to see you here. And honestly, looking around this room, None of us look like the stereotypes that Hollywood puts out there. We are a gorgeous, diverse group of people in here. I don't see a single gangbanger or a drug dealer looking person, and that's what we're out to set to change in this uh, industry. So I've had a lot of wine, folks. It's going to be a fun <laughs> one. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. Ooh, it's a little loud. Got to keep this a little farther away because I do have a voice that projects as my mom and my family back there can... Can we give a hand to my parents and my sister and her husband for coming out supporting me? They've never seen me in this element, ever. They've never listened to a podcast, which is okay. That's fine, right? But this, they finally kind of get to see what it's all about. So, you guys, thank you for making me look good. <laughs> you know, we're talking about representation and we're talking about how we can do something moving forward and not not just representation, but characters that happen to be Latino, that not a specifically sometimes Latino or Black or Asian, like, character, right? I know for me, the moment I found out that Wonder Woman was half Mexican, I was so excited. You guys know that, right? Linda Carter's Mexican. I was so happy. My mom can attest how much I love Wonder Woman growing up. So 
What are the things that, I mean, Nelson, you've already said you didn't really see yourself reflected. What was the first time you saw yourself reflected, not as that stereotypical Latino? And what was your first thought of it? Okay, I'm going to be very honest, and I actually just talked about this on our show, Black Dignidad, on LATV, is that it wasn't until recently, and it was with the young girl of Gordita Chronicles, Cuckoo, right? When I saw her and just, like, her story and even, like, her relationship with her body and her, like, larger-than-life personality, that was the first time that I truly was like, yo, that, that's literally me. Like, it's like the younger version of me, you know? But I'm going to be really honest, and as far as, like, mainstream media... I haven't seen a morena, goldita, pelo malo, dike pelo kinky, right? How I'm oftentimes described. I have not seen that. And that's a big reason why I stepped into what I do. You know, um, stepped into being on camera, stepped into doing the things that I've been told that I couldn't do. And also getting into the rooms where we're not typically allowed. That for me, that's really important. And also for me to show up with all that I am, right? I'm Puerto Rican, I'm Dominican, I'm a New Yorker, and I also spend a significant time in the Midwest. And that gives me a very specific experience to understand both the Black experience in America, but also the Caribbean Latina, which to me personally is very different than Central American, South American, and the rest of Latin America. Us in the Caribbean have a little bit of a different experience once we leave the Caribbean and we get to the U.S. So I have yet to see that. I'm hoping <laughs> to get it soon. I think the closest thing is Julissa Calderon, you know, but still not like me, right? Yeah. It's a hard question. My mind went blank. And I started thinking, okay, when I grew up in the 1980s, I had Scarface. I had Ricky Ricardo. I had Charo. And then in terms of the Arabs and Muslims who are around, there were nameless, faceless terrorists in Delta Force, in Back to the Future, Raiders of the Lost Ark, et cetera, et cetera. And then the things that I really loved when I was a teenager were John Hughes films. And it was all white people except for Long Duck Dong, who was a joke. He was a total joke fool. So like you, Nelson, I grew up embarrassed. And then I had a moment when I was finally old enough where I was like, embarrassed for what? But because of all these messages we're getting, and at the point where I realized, oh, the white, cisgendered, heterosexual, Christian, able-bodied, neurotypical man is at the center of the normal identity, and everyone else is on the margins, and I've been made to feel like I don't belong. I devoted my life to this topic and to educating people about it, because on the one hand, there's the personal impact that we've all had, and then there's also a political impact that when I started studying it, I learned, for example, with representations of Muslims, that when we consume images of Muslims as terrorists repeatedly, we're more likely to support war in Muslim-majority countries. We're more likely to support policies that restrict civil liberties for Muslims. These are enormous impacts. So what one of my colleagues says is a life-or-death situation. It's not just entertainment. It's not just for fun. It's not meaningless. It impacts us personally, interpersonally, all the stupid questions we're asked on a daily basis about our identities. And then on a more political, larger social level. I will say when I was in college, I had a really tough time in college because they kept telling me, like, I can't play any roles, even though I was paying them to educate me. And then one of my professors took me to this random film festival. I went to school in Denver, Colorado. So imagine Shaq, I'm from the Caribbean, right? 
to Denver, Colorado, <laughs> in the suburbs. Everybody looked the same, all the houses, you know? And I was like, I do not belong. And then she took me to see a movie called Amores Perros, which is a Mexican movie. And I saw that and I just, my, my life was never the same. I decided I can make movies. I can tell the stories. I don't have to just be the actor. And I started making movies. So that was what, 25 years ago. Recently, I would say it's very hard, right? Because we get so little representation. But I think, you know, one day at a time, I saw that family. I was like, oh, no, I'm not Cuban, but I'm Venezuelan. And she kind of looks like me, you know? I was like, oh, that was the first show. And that was what, three years ago? Where I was like, oh, and it was a remake, right? In order for it, for it to even get greenlit, it had to be a remake, right? This is... This is the kind of stuff that is getting produced. But I, I did watch that and I was very happy when the show came out. And, you know, we fought really hard for it to keep coming back. And after each season, we had to fight and fight and fight and fight. And it's like, okay, whatever, just let it go. We're going to do our own network now. So, so our stories don't get canceled. But I would say Amores Perros really gave me the power to start filmmaking. And one day at a time, I would say it's like a close representation of my family. And I really like that show. It's unfortunate how we all had to dig deep. Like, no one had an answer for yeah. that right away. We were like, uh, which one? Yeah. There's only a handful. I think the one that actually helped change and it kind of alter me was some time back. And it kind of builds off of what I shared about wanting to be white because that's who I saw represented as the people who lived the life I wanted to live. But for me, it was a Latino, being very Latino in the real world plus make-believe world. It was watching Raul Julia in The Addams Family. Oh, yeah. Oh, like, I love that movie. I love it to my soul because of what it did for me. I feel the back of my eyes getting a little watery. That's how much I love it, like, how much the impact was. To see a Latino being very masculine and a Latino and loving his family and being odd, being an oddball and being everyone he was in a world of people who don't look like him, you know, either creatures or white folks, you know? Um, so to me, that opened my eyes in the sense of like, oh, there's a chance. So, you know, I, I recently, we recently watched it with our, with our little girl, with our, our daughter, our little girl who's five foot nine, 12 years old. She's incredible. She's a giant child. And I'm watching it with her like, do you like it? Do you like it? Like I had so much on it, you know, and she loved it, thankfully, but she loved Wednesday Adams too. Yeah. So, you know, again, Jenna Ortega, another Latina. And it's cool because we see what we're all fighting for. And as much as the shift is slow, it does seem like there actually is momentum happening now. It seems like the youth, like, well, we got Beso Pluma, this kid coming out of nowhere. We got like regional music, number one in the charts at Coachella, you know, we have, you know, Bad Bunny, number one. So it feels that as much as hard as this question was for all of us right now, I'm still hopeful that the work that we've all done is actually making some headway. Hopefully in maybe two years or three years, this won't be so difficult to answer to the next group of folks that you ask. Wine break. Time to refill that glass and come back for more Wine and Chisme. This live Wine and Chisme podcast event wouldn't have been possible without our in-kind sponsors, including our wine sponsors, Seis Soles Wine, Vinos Unidos, and Esfuerzo Wines, with bubbles provided by Infinity Cellars. Our VIP bag contributors, Rizos Curls and Vive Cosmetics. Our water partner, Chiqui Chiqui Boom Boom. And La Revista Internacional for sponsoring tickets for three of our lucky guests. 
And I would like to thank my friends Jair Rojas for her performance at the live event, as well as Ivan Hernandez for providing a pre-panel meditation. And of course, to all those who attended and made my dreams come true, I appreciate you more than you could ever know. Muchos abrazos to you all. I think the number is about 25% of media is consumed by Latinos. I mean, movie tickets, things that we're paying to go and see. Yet I think, and you guys please hold me accountable to the truth, I think we represent 2%. Is it less than that? 3% of leading roles. Okay, did you guys all hear that? So we rep- we are 20% of the population. We actually do consume, I think it is to about 25% of, of ticket sales. We are responsible for the most streaming dollars. Yet 3% of leads go to our community and half of those are negative stereotypical roles. We've seen changes over the last several years in regards to like in the heights. Yes, I'm glad you, I saw your face and I'm super excited about that. And I'll tell you why, because there's, there's a reason, right? So that was kind of my point. Like we have these, these things and let's be honest, movie studios, they're all about the bottom dollar, right? They're all about the bottom line. And sometimes we can be our own worst enemy when it comes to certain things. So my question is to you all, and whatever order you want is fine. How, because I know for something like In the Heights, there was a lot of blowback in regards to it not being truly representative. I am not from New York. I didn't grow up in New York. So I'm not gonna lie. Like if I would look at that film and think that would be representative. And then I would have somebody tell me, girl, you're crazy. No, that's not what it's like. There's not enough darker complected people and they're like, no, no, no. However, if we don't support what we have, we can't get more. So how do you guys feel we can walk that line by supporting what we have, but still holding places accountable that we want more? When In the Heights came out, there was a lot of members of the community really seeing this, oh, this is going to be the film that's finally going to break through for us, right? It didn't do so well. And we've talked to the execs. They were at our studio telling us, you know what? There were meetings after that movie bombed. They're not going to green light any more films. Was the movie perfect? Absolutely not. (laughs) You know, there are a lot of things with colorism and issues that are important. But I personally adored the film. Like, I loved it, you know. But it's also a musical, It's very specific, right? And because, and they put so much on it. They put so much on, like, the expectations for this musical, which is, who watches musicals? It's a very specific audience. And they put so much money behind this thing, and the director was not Latino, the DP was not Latino, right? But, listen, Lin-Manuel Miranda is like, he's really trying over here, right? The fact that he even got it greenlit and got it for that budget was a miracle. It was a miracle. He tried for over 10 years to get this movie made. He got it made, and we tanked it. We did that. So then we gave the studios a reason to say, eh, you see, we tried. Now, if you think about the white community, how many movies fail? (laughs) Right? Nobody says... Oh, well, what happens is we get so little content for us, about us, that when one comes out, we want it to represent all of us. And that's simply impossible. 
It's impossible. That, like, it's not going to happen. So why do I tell my followers on social media or everybody, just support it. Just put it on. Like, I'm not into, like, the Mayans show, why, the, the, bikes, the bike gang. That is not my thing at all. I know a lot of the actors. I am so happy they're working. I play it in the background. I don't care. I'll play it. Why? Because we need to show, we need to send a powerful message to Hollywood that we will watch this stuff. Is it fair? No, <laughs> it's not fair. Like we should have tons of content that we could choose from. But if anything, every time something comes that they actually, like it's a miracle that it even gets made and we tank it, then we're telling the studios there's just nothing that's going to succeed. So this is my philosophy. We have to support everything that comes out. I'm sorry, we have to. Just play it, put it on the background, just play it, support it, okay? Create our own content. We have to create our own content. And we have support the content that gets created. Look at Tyler Perry. Even if you don't like his stuff, you cannot deny that this man has shifted the conversation in Hollywood. As a matter of fact, African-Americans are overrepresented, right? And they earned it. They fought for it, they demanded their space. And you know what? They talk about like some of this content that comes out. They're like, oh my God. But they talk about it and they still support it though, right? For me, I would have loved to see in the Heights be a huge success and for us to talk about the big issue they had with colorism, right? Just like Crazy Rich Asians, same director. Same director. Really? Yes. The Asian community had a huge issue with Crazy Rich Asians and colorism because it was, I mean, it was even worse with Crazy Rich Asians. But guess what? They made it a number one hit in the world. Where's the Asian community now? The first Asian woman director has won an Academy Award, okay? What happened at the last Academy Award? An Asian movie won everything, and it was amazing, by the way, right? And how did this happen? Because the Asian community got behind this one film and made it so huge, and the way that Hollywood works is, oh, let's just make more of this. You know, that's why there's so many freaking remakes. They remake you know, Fast and the Furious 55 or something, you know, like, oh my gosh, like, I don't even know how many numbers we have. Is it fair? No, but this is how it works. I feel like we have to support everything that comes out. It's most likely not going to tell your story, but it's going to be adjacent maybe, you know, hopefully, so that the studios will keep making more, but also support the independent filmmakers that are going out there, raising funds, creating their content, turn on LA TV, you know, They have great programming. They have like talk shows with Latinas. Like they have all this stuff, like watch the stuff, the few stuff that's out there, watch it, support it. And we have to unite as a community. We're really, really divided. So for things to change, we have to, we have so much power. We can really change things if we come together. I just want to bring the stats up one more time to make people present a bit. As a community, we really have the ability to make or break any industry that we want. Any film, any industry. We are the alpha buying power. We buy a hell of a lot more than any other group does. But going back, I just wanted to share something. You know, the thing is with Latinos, we're very proud. You know, so Mexicanos, so Colombiano, we're very proud. But the thing is, sometimes I think we do it to a fault. That we think that, you know, Venezuelan arepas are better than Colombian arepas. And then you just get into it. Or Mexican tamales or, you know, illness, and it just really gets to the thing. Like, we understand. We all have pride. But we understand that our brothers and sisters from, you know, from a, you know, a country over have the same type of pride. And I think that's something that we have to dial down and understand. There's certain differences, but there are also similarities at the same time. I was on a Clubhouse conversation when In the Heights came out. And I jumped in because this entire conversation was people bashing it. They're like, 
I'm this, I'm that, I'm this Latino, I'm here from there, and I wasn't represented, so I ain't gonna watch it. I told my family not to watch it. I stopped them from going out. I'm like, cool, and I casually brought up, yo, by the way, changing the subject, did you guys watch the Star Wars movie? Like, yeah, cool. I was like, cool, so how much part creature are you? How much part spaceman are you? Were you represented there? Well, no, well, that's different, bro. Why is it different? You're out here throwing your money at all of these other folks, but when it comes to something that actually matters for you, something that's actually gonna, that's more closely related to you than some freaking dude in space shooting at laser beams at an alien that doesn't exist, you're easier to support that than you are something that's gonna help your brothers and sisters that are going through the same struggle as you. I'm really passionate about that because I say it because I want us all to echo this. I want us to know our actual power. As a community united, we have all the cards in our hands. In this country, we're all Mexican. Let's embrace it. Once we're in there, once we're in there, we'll start telling them, you know, Venezuela is a whole other country, you know? But let's just, I tell, okay, I'm Mexican, I don't care. If that gives us more power as a community, and then we'll start with the nuances. I mean, sometimes you just have to be pragmatic like that. I think that a lot of the conversation that's happening in Hollywood when we talk about Latinos does not acknowledge the anti-blackness that exists in Latinidad. There's number one. Number two, we cannot talk about uniting until we identify and we acknowledge the very things that make us who we are. That's like a white person saying, I don't see color. You can see Latinidad and understand what it's like to be Dominican, which is very different to be Puerto Rican, which is very different to be Mexican, which is very different to be Guatemalan, which is very different to be Venezuelan. It has to get acknowledged because that is the essence of who we are. The only thing that unites us is that we were all colonized, ripped from our people, ripped from our heritage, right? And then we were kind of thrown in this group and say, y'all are the colonized ones and y'all figure it out. The black community is doing well because the black community has one narrative that unites them, one narrative. Us the Latinos, we have several narratives and until we the Latinos acknowledge those narratives, We're going to continue to have this back and forth. In the Heights, I never was one of the people that was like, ban in the Heights, don't watch it. No, but I'm from the Heights. I was born in the Heights. My immigrant aunts live in the Heights. My aunts that had to fight for their citizenship live in the Heights. My father and my uncles that were deported back to the Dominican Republic are in the Heights. My cousins are in the Heights. So the problem within the heist is that it missed the opportunity to highlight a community that is still very much so alive. This isn't a fictional place, right? This isn't a fictional place where everything is, no, this is a real place. And if you wanted to tell this story the way you told it on Broadway, which was amazing, you should have done what you did on Broadway in the film because there was a huge missed opportunity to get Dominican and Afro-Latino singers and dancers, to get Dominican and Afro-Latino leads, to get Dominican and Afro-Latino music. Because let me tell you, there wasn't a single merengue ripiao in In the Heights. A merengue ripiao. There wasn't a single merengue ripiao in In the Heights. There wasn't a single bachata in the Heights. There wasn't a single bodega cat in the Heights. They said the word piragua instead of frio frio. Those are things that make us who we are. And if we are going to blanket all of that and say, cómetelo porque es lo que te puedes comer ahora, I'm not with that. I'm not with that. And I think that instead of, there is truth in that we have to understand how Hollywood works and what's the way to get in the door. But if that means compromising the very essence of who we are, then I'm okay with doing my shit on my own and working hard and building things from grassroots up and letting that be what it is. 
Because to me, it's more important to be accurate and to not compromise who we are as a people. Because another thing that was disrespectful about In the Heights is that the very music that drives the world right now, right? Reggaeton, salsa, merengue, bachata, all of that comes from the Caribbean. And we are the least represented in media. So there's layers to it, right? There's layers from white people to black people, to Latino people, to Afro-Latino people, and to dark-skinned Afro-Latino people. There's disenfranchisement on top of disenfranchisement on top of different disenfranchisement. So until we acknowledge those, those layers and until we start to think about how we perpetuate that colorism as Latinos and how we perpetuate that blanketing, we're going to always keep doing the same thing we've been doing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I have a lot of thought about, a lot of feelings <laughs> about this. I'm very boisterous about this. That's why I have a show called Black Dinida, because Latino people get nervous when you hear the word black, you know? However, us in the Caribbean, we come from West Africa. We are the most West African and black influenced part of Latin America. And I don't ever want to feel like I have to leave that at the door just to be considered Latina. Just how it was when I was in the Midwest, I didn't want to have to leave my Latinaness to be accepted because the Latinos in the Midwest looked me in my face and told me, no, pero es muy negra, tú tienes el... No, ¿cómo tú eres Latina? ¿Cómo tú hablas español? My agencies have told me, you're too black, we can't submit you for Latina roles. So we're going to submit you for ethnically ambiguous or for black. You see what I'm saying? So again, when we, when we start blanketing things, we start to disregard the very root of the issue. And we cannot, as Latino, become the white people that say, I don't see color. I don't see color. Drama, todo el mundo, todos somos iguales, todos somos humanos. No, 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 no. Hay mucha experiencia. A lot of experiences that are very specific to who we are. And I think that if we start embracing who we are and we start highlighting those things, then we can say, like, coño, the Guatemalans tienen esto. And that's very similar to us. Let's gather. Coño, los mexicanos hacen esto. And that's similar to us. Let's come together. But not say, mira, we're just all the same. That's something that I'm just personally, I'm not with. And I think that a lot of Afro-Latinos, a lot of Caribbean Afro-Latinos, a lot of Avala-Latinos that present as Black right? We have to fight for this to be acknowledged because we are constantly left out of the conversation of Latinos. And till this day, there are still more Mexican and Latin Americans represented than Afro-Latinos and Caribbean Latinos. I still don't see a show that represents my people. I still don't see a movie that represents my people. Funny enough, the one movie that does represent Afro-Latinidad is Fast and Furious. <laughs> right? So it's like, I think that this can be a conversation that can go on and on and on, but this is something that personally affects me, personally affects my family, my people, people that look like me. And I think that it's something that definitely needs to be acknowledged. And I think also that's why a lot of people like me decide I'm going to write, I'm going to produce, direct, and I'm also going to be on camera. Because if people aren't creating those roles for us because they don't understand who we are and what we represent, then how are we going to get on camera? First, thank you for sharing, because beautiful. And maybe you can educate me, right? Because even though I look this way, I don't claim to be Afro-Latina, even though people tell me I am, because I never experienced what you've experienced. So people will call me and be like, oh, here's a job for you. And I'll be like, no, I am not going to take a job, because being an Afro-Latina is more than DNA. It's a culture, it's an experience, right? So my question for you is, you know, I've talked to Leslie Grace, who's an Afro-Latina from, isn't she Dominican? And she was the lead in the show. So I'm trying to understand from your point of view, actually, like, 
completely open because I want to learn. Having her as the lead of this film, and I watched the Broadway show several times, so to me it was the same music, and I know a lot of the, actor, a lot of the dancers, they're Afro-Latinos that were in the film. Was it because they removed the line where she was like dating an actual black person and you know, like that conflict with the family? I feel like that was a mistake because that was the one part that addressed colorism in our community. And they removed that from the movie. And that to me was the biggest mistake they made with the film. Also not casting maybe an Afro-Latino director, you know? But I'm trying to learn from you, what do you feel about, you know, Leslie Grace, who's an Afro-Latina, was the lead of the film. But then she was being told she's not black enough. And then, you know, we had Dasha Polanco, we had the, the owner from the salon who was also an Afro-Latina. So I'm wondering, was it because not everybody was Afro-Latino that it felt like it should have been mostly just Dominican? Or, because from the show, I remember from Broadway, it was Mi Bandera, it was like a little bit of everybody. It was, so I'm just wondering how the translation for you from the show to the movie was so, so different that... I'm just from your experience, what did you see? Well, I'm just going to speak on my experience. I think that it's important that we all educate ourselves. Like, I'm not going to take on the educationing part because we all have access to information, you know. I think that the lead was not Afro-Latina. The second girl, okay, she's Afro-Latina. Still, she could have been the lead, right? There is a certain intentionality that can be made that makes a difference. So there's that part. The second part is that culturally, the, the, the movie didn't represent the place that it's talking about. Like I said, In the Heights is not a fictional place. If I go to Mexico, if I go to wherever Norteño is from or Ranchera is from, and I put a bunch of Dominican, Puerto Ricans, or Cubans to act in that movie, and I dress us in Ranchera gear, and I put the hat on, and I put the boots, the Mexican community is going to get up and be like, why don't we have actually, actually Norteño and Mexican people in this film? That's a simplification of what it means and what it meant. And I think that sometimes when a community stands up and says, I don't feel represented, we don't have the right to police them and to say, well, you shouldn't feel that way because at least you got this one person. We got to listen to people. You know what I'm saying? We got to listen to people and we got to say, okay, this people, these people didn't feel represented. This film is about their neighborhood. You go to the Heights, everyone looks like me or darker. You know what I'm saying? Not everyone. Now there's a lot of Mexicans that live in the Heights. There's, a, there's some gentrification happening. The Heights actually used to be a Jewish community, so there's a huge Jewish representation in the Heights. But the Heights that they were talking about, the story of Usnavi, too, right, and what that means, that's my father's story, right? That's so many of our, of our father's stories. And I think that they could have taken a little more responsibility And instead of reaching to who they already knew, because there was a lot of people from Hamilton in, in the Heights, I think that they could have done a wider search and they could have found really, really, really amazing people that could have represented a broader spectrum. And also they could have done better with the music to actually represent what it's like to be Dominican and living in the Heights. Because again, if we're talking about a fictional place, I'm looking at the Gana. You know what I'm saying? But the Heights is a real, actual place where people actually live, where people are still dealing with disenfranchisement, where my aunts are still hoping they don't get kicked out because they're gentrifying 172nd and Broadway. This is all like, this is all real time things happening. And so it was a huge missed opportunity to amplify one of the communities that's actually the most underrepresented when we talk about media, which is the Dominican, the Dominican community. But, you know, everybody loves them both. Everybody loves bachata. 
Everybody loves Everybody loves that. But when it comes to like, here's a huge opportunity to tell the story of this community, it's like, actually, we're going to globalize it and make it more than just Dominicans. And that, to me, was a huge missed opportunity. When I was listening to Fanny, I was like, yeah, 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 I'm totally there. And then I was listening to Eliana, I was like, yeah, 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 I'm totally there. And with the Arab and Muslim community, there's also an anti-blackness problem. But the reason I was... So where I landed is that, because in the Arab and Muslim community, there are similar kinds of debates happening. There are stories, for example, Rami on Hulu. We finally have an Arab Muslim family on television written by an Arab Muslim, and a lot of people don't like the show. And I'm with you on that. If you don't like it, still support it. But there's something different when you don't get it right. So there are 2 billion Muslims. Of course, all two billion people aren't going to like this one show, and there's stupid pressure on people who are producing these shows. It's unrealistic. It's one story. But it's a different thing to not get it right, to represent a community incorrectly. And one of the terms in my book is the diversity compromise, which is what I've been noticing. We're in this diversity moment, diversifying here, diversifying there. We're celebrating diversity. And in the case of Arabs and Muslims, it's like you go this far, but you can't go that that far and you're supposed to be happy with it. So you might have a story. There is a TV show called Transplant about a Syrian Muslim refugee doctor. Wow, we've never seen anything like that. First scene, something happens. It looks like a terrorist attack. We think he's involved. It turns out he's not. Why? Why? And there are so many examples like that. So, yes. So I just wanted to say that I think I agree with you, Fanny, that if you see a show that you don't like, but it's about your community, please support it. But if you're getting it wrong, you have to have a conversation about it. And you have to push the conversation. And we have to eventually get it right. You kind of took the words right out of my mouth because I felt the same way. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh, you're right, do you know? But that's why we are here, right? That's why we're having these conversations. And these conversations can get very heated, but it's okay because we have to be able to hear, listen, hear, have an open mind, have an open heart about what's happening in order to progress. Because without that, right, like Fanny was saying, conversations were had after that movie of saying, well, we gave it a shot. We all know that there really wasn't a true shot given, but it was like dangling the carrot. Oh, you didn't eat enough of it. I'm taking it away. Right. So it's, it's those types of things that we have to just be on the lookout for, but also, you know, support. Now, as people who are actually in, you're an actor, you also are a plus size model. You're an actor as well. Fanny, I don't know. Nelson, are you an actor? Oh, and first of all, Evelyn, thank you for bringing that point of view in regards to Arab and Muslim representation, because that was one of the reasons I wanted you here to bring it, because it's about representation in me, not just our representation, right, but all of our representation because of how much media is consumed, how much media is put out, how much media consumed and how don't you change a channel and you're like, I feel like I've seen this before and it's something you've never seen because it's the same thing pumped out in just a different version, right? So how do we take our stories back? How do we, I know that's a lot, a lot, and because we kind of have to wrap it up and let everybody have their final wines and cheeses and photos, but where can we start well, it starts with um, the people that are writing for their characters to have those experiences as those characters. I'm not going to write the role for a woman because I don't know those experiences. I don't know if women, you ever watch a show and you're like, 
this woman's over-sexualized, like, obviously a man wrote it. You know, it's like she walks in in lingerie, like, to work? Like, guys are like, yeah, and the women are like, what? Bringing it back to what we're talking about is, it's having the people who have those experiences be the ones who write those roles. You know, having an Afro-Latina write the Afro-Latina roles. Having the, 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 the Mexican guy from L.A. write these roles. Having a diverse writer's room. Having a diverse producer. Having a diverse executives to understand what it actually means. And diverse doesn't mean non-white. I want to understand, and it's something I preach, because I, I preach a lot on social media and everywhere. Diversity doesn't mean anti-anything. Diversity means everything. And that's something I think that we need to repeat also. You know, one thing that we're doing is, you know, we're launching our digital network in about eight weeks our streaming platform that's going to be available on all apps, phones, tablets, and everything, Roku, Apple TV. And, you know, we're creating a lot of our own original programming. Sure enough, obviously, we are representation is front and center. We have shows with Afro-Latinas, Latinos, and not just, not just colorism, but ageism. Older Latinos and Latinas, younger folks who identify as non-binary, Latinx, Latine, Latino, Latina, whatever it is. Because going back to what we're all saying here, within the Latino community itself, we are diverse ourselves. We're not just one segment of diversity within our own diverse group. We are diversity to umpteenth power. So one thing that we're doing is that we know our Latino and Latina experience from being a Venezolana, Mexicano Salvadoreño, living in LA, but that's this much. So it's our responsibility and the responsibility of folks creating this content to not take it all on upon yourselves and really bring in teams because there was a Nielsen and Latino Donors Collaborative Study that came out last year. And there's actually a new one being released uh, this year. We're going to New York next week to get the stats. Latinos as a community are 60% more likely to watch a TV show if they are represented accurately. I don't care who you are as an executive. If you're hearing more eyeballs, more viewership and more ads consumed, your thought should be, all right, let's make this diversity thing happen. But I have my personal reasons why people are gatekeeping. I feel it's beyond something else. You know, it's a little more about the isms. But I think that, again, just to wrap that thought up, it's, it really is about allowing the folks with those experiences to be the ones to be the voices as the writers and the executives so that we can actually land it and hit the mark. What we can do, I think, this is my belief, right? Is while we advocate for Hollywood to change this industry, right? How do we advocate for it to change? We don't support movies that don't have us, right? <laughs> but the thing is we consume the most media. We don't care. We still go to the movies. We have it in our power to be like, you know what? If I don't see myself represented or my community, or if you're only going to represent us as the drug dealers, I'm simply not going to watch, right? That's one. We can try to really change the system because at the end of the day, it's a business. But for us, our solution is to build our own road. And that's why our studio is called Avenida. We really believe that like, you can create your own avenue. And we use technology, social media, grassroots outreach. We are really into crowdfunding. We've helped raise millions of dollars for hundreds of projects now, and they're all celebrate diversity in all forms. So we have the power to make a change. For us, we're so tired of Hollywood because they'll give us a bone and then take it away and Give us a bone and take it away. Right now, everybody's talking about it. Oh, it's our moment. It's our moment. We've been here before, okay? 
You know, remember Ricky Martin, the Latin Rabbies? Oh, the Latino wave. Okay, this is like the 50th Latino wave, right? So it's up to us to make it stick. (laughs) So we can start boycotting. We can be a lot more outspoken. We need to know that there's enough for everybody, not fight each other, right? Like, oh, if you get the job, I don't. But I really believe, like, we can create our own content. We can support the filmmakers. We have so much talent in our community already. They just lack... The resources, right? So if you see a crowdfunding campaign that comes through your, please give $5. Like you don't even know, like it makes a huge difference. There's a new show, share it on your socials. Like we can really elevate our voices and we can make this change. And our philosophy is like, we don't need Hollywood. We're building our own. We're building our own path. And then Hollywood will come. When we take enough of the of the pie, they'll be like, what are these people doing? Yeah, and it's not just us, right? There's a lot of people trying to do what we're doing. But I feel like instead of just taking the crumbs and keep giving them our money, we can start voting with our money and support the creators. And now with new technology, you can make films for a lot less. You can make content for a lot less. I mean, we should be getting the same budgets as everybody else. But in the meantime, what can we do? Let's be proactive. Let's really, really support the filmmakers, the actors, the writers, the producers are just trying to tell our stories instead of keep giving our money to to the system that keeps shutting us out. Well, I love that you are doing that, and I love that you are doing that too. It's so important. And we love what you're doing. Thank you. Um, I actually forgot that I brought this test that I created, the Obedi El Sultani test, to help Hollywood get out of this diversity compromise mode and try to do a little bit better with representations of Muslims. But I agree that the dollars are what they listen to. And we are in a, we are at a turning point. Yeah, I mentioned the movies I grew up with right now. There's, you know, Love, Victor and there's Pose. I mean, this is a new moment. There is change and it's responding to what we want. So we need to be sick and tired of all those stereotypes, sick and tired of whitewashing, sick and tired of all of that for there to be change and there there will be a response. I've had a lot of experience as a consultant. They bring me on at the very end. It's been, my experiences have been very shallow. So for those in Hollywood, if you're writing about a community, you have to have people on your team of that community from start to finish and not just tack people on at the end. So anyway, if anyone's interested in the Obedi Asultani test, I have uh, copies and I also brought one of my books for free for whoever wants it. Aww, thank you. Right? You get a book, and you get a book, and you get a book. I love that. I think there's multiple things that could happen. I think that we underestimate the power of storytelling amongst our own community and really empowering our people to tell their stories, empowering, you know, independent filmmakers to tell stories of our people as well. I think that when we get into Hollywood level where we're talking showrunners and networks, I think it is important for showrunners to surround themselves with either consultants, right? People that can help educate them or can help build the conversation around, this is a difference between like, no, you know, like a, a, a Puerto Rican doesn't say that and a Colombian does say that, or, you know, those little nuances. But I also think that it's, it's important to, we don't want the only door for Latinos to get in to being on screen and representation to be only Latino roles, right? Like, I think what also needs to happen is that we need to book jobs that are just, like, people, 
right? That happen to be Latinos, right? And not necessarily always telling the stereotypical story or, you know, or doing things that kind of put us in a very specific niche. And I think that that can happen with amplifying writers, with empowering writers, with empowering the Latino community to get involved in the film industry. I think that it's kind of a taboo. A lot of us didn't grow up even thinking that it was a possibility. I didn't go to film school. You know, I, I just happened to have a talent for storytelling and I just kind of figured out like, this is how you do it. This is how you use a camera and this is how we're going to make it happen. So I think that it starts from the bottom up, but we take our, our power back by telling our own stories. I think that's really important. And I think that also those of us that are auditioning also saying no sometimes when we do get put in a position that's going to pinch and hold us. And going for that role, even if it says looking for <laughs> looking for white person, size five, you know, whatever, like still show up in that audition and bring who you are into that audition. Like there's been plenty of people who roles have been changed to suit them once they see them in that audition. But I think all of that comes from empowerment too. So um, just like, I think coming together, having these conversations, storytelling, empowering people to storytell, and then also learning when to say no. You know, just learning when to say no and learning when to say, you know what, this doesn't resonate with me. It doesn't represent my community and walking away when we have to walk away. Right. Because I think there are times where we're like, hey, this is a chance for you to get in, but it's this role. And you kind of are like, oh, well, do I take it or no? You know, and sometimes we kind of have to assess our own values and say, no, it's not for me. But I think the root of it is storytelling and conversation and then also understanding how we're perpetuating some of these some of these limitations amongst our own communities as well. Ooh, I mean, this is like the beginning. Obviously, we, we didn't get through many questions because these are so deep, right? I just want to say how much I appreciate because every single person on this stage has a completely different experience. And this is exactly why I asked each of you to be on this panel because I knew it was going to start, you know, a, a pretty... Interesting dialogue, <laughs> but it's okay, and that's what we need. So thank you, all of you, for bringing your perspective, bringing your point of view. There is so much more. Believe me, we'll have one-on-one -on -one time. We're, this is the beginning of the conversation. So can we please give, it a, give a hand for our panelists today? Thank you for listening to this episode of the Wine and Cheese Chisme Podcast. For more information on today's guest, please see the show notes for links to websites and social media channels. You can check out all things Wine and Chisme on our website, thewineandchismepodcast.com. There, you will find the names of wines I drink each episode, as well as additional information on me, the podcast, and you can even apply to be a guest straight from there. You can also find us on social media at the Wine and Chisme on Instagram and at the Wine and Chisme podcast on Facebook. Remember, if you want to hear more Wine and Chisme, please subscribe, rate, and review. Five-star ratings are appreciated and those positive reviews are appreciated even more. Until next time, saludos!